But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in your spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Maria. I'll move these because inevitably I will walk into them and trip or fall, and that would not be good. Well, as Hugh shared, we're going to be talking about anger this morning. We're going to be talking about being honest and angry. And there was a book I was reading recently. I wasn't going to mention this till a little bit later, so I'm going to throw the folks doing the slides for a loop. Uh, the book is called Good and Angry, and it's written by David Pallison. And it's a book I highly recommend. And at the beginning of chapter 2... In the book, the, the title of the chapter is, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? So I'm like, okay. I'm around, like, no. And then you, I go to read the chapter, and it says, yes. And I'm reading a digital copy of the book on my tablet, and I'm like, okay, they, they missed something. Like, it only says yes. The next thing in my book is the next chapter. Like, what a... What about the people who aren't dealing with it? The reality is every single one of us deals with anger. It looks differently for each of us, and we're going to jump into some of those details, but I just want to throw that out there right out of the gate because we can hear that we're going to be talking about honesty and we're going to be talking about anger, and we can be like, yeah, this would be a great message for that person who's not here today. Or I'm so glad that Jamie is talking about that because I'm sitting here with my spouse. They really need to hear this. Or better yet, oh, I'm so glad my parents are going to hear this because they really need, or my kids, so glad my kids are here, or I hope so-and-so is watching online, or this is going to be a great message for me to point so-and-so to. Paul shares this with the church. We have to remember the context at which we are in. Paul is sharing this with everyone. He's not saying this is for just one individual. He's addressing the entire church. In fact, these two matters of honesty and anger are being addressed in the context of community and relationships. It's not just you have this issue. It's how are these issues affecting your relationships with others in the church? How are these revealing things? And we want to put off the old and put on the new. So even as was read, we read the text that we were in last week. Remember last week we talked about putting off the old and putting on the new. Because we are new creations in Christ. And then Paul, for the rest of the chapter, talks about five different things that we are going to put off and then put on. We're just going to talk about two of them today. Lord willing, we'll have enough time to cover just those Two, but that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about the old self. What did the old self do? What did the new self do? So we want to talk about honesty and anger. 
And we want to be thinking about what does God want to say to me? Let's, let's consider what God has to say to us individually, how it will affect us together. Let's not listen for someone else this morning. Just as I had the experience this week as I'm studying. I'm like, I want to serve the church. And of course, every time you get the opportunity to preach on this subject matter, there is an opportunity to grow in the middle of the week, right? My family was going to gather to go out for a meal at a particular point in time this week. It was great. Perfect plan. We're going to go get some pizza. We're going to have some conversation. It's going to be great. We all arrive at the same place so that we can get in the van together to go. And there's a reality that there's been some miscommunication. Of course, not just miscommunication from me to one member of my family, but miscommunication from me to this person in my family, and also to this person in my family, and then this person and this person, and there's an awareness. In 30 seconds, we could have gone from zero to blazing fire of argument. Have you ever experienced that in the context of your family or relationships? Yeah. And the Lord was saying... Is this for you, Jamie? Yes. <laughs> yes, Lord, this is for me. And by God's grace, there wasn't a blow up, but there have been in my family before. Believe it or not, the Maxim family has been angry in our family. And God was kind and merciful to us on Friday night. But we talked about the fact it could have been very different, but it was different in our family from what it used to be before because of what Christ has done. So let's look at our text, again, this morning, verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So before we talk about anger, let's talk about truth-telling. Let's talk about being honest with one another. So putting away falsehood, when Paul's talking about that, he's not just talking about just a category of life. No, he's talking about honesty. We are committed to honesty. We want to be committed to being truthful with one another because God is always truthful. Now we have to remember, as Paul is speaking these words to Ephesians, he's speaking to them who are living in a context of a culture that dishonesty was the norm. Now it feels that way somewhat to us that that's an increasing reality in our culture. There's distrust to certain people in authority because we've seen lying happen. I experience this front and center when I go to Liberia. It's kind of assumed that when you're interacting with people that they're not being honest with you. It's pretty common if you were to go, uh, say you're going uh, to a store for your business and you are going to be purchasing something for your employer. Hey, you're, you're sent to go buy office supplies. You go in to buy the office supplies and the guy across the counter is there going to sell you the office supplies and you're like, how much is it? And he'll say, how much do you want it to be? You're like, what do you mean? Like, isn't it cost a certain amount of money? Say it costs a hundred bucks. Well, you know, you could say it costs $150. We will say $150 because then my employer is going to pay $150. He only has to give his employer $100 for the stuff, and then we can split the difference. It's a common occurrence in Liberia. And so when I've been there and 
Uh, the Andersons have been there. We've had to teach the churches there about being honest, integrity, just because that's the norm. It's so much the norm. It's like a given. Like that's just the way things are done. And they, they breathe the air of the culture. And we experience that in our culture. We're breathing the air of dishonesty. People aren't being honest. But yet Paul isn't talking primarily in this text about how you handle your money or whether you are stealing from your employer. Certainly that is in view. We want to be honest. The Christian should be the one that you expect to be truthful in their dealings and integrous in their dealings. But he's speaking these things in the context of relationship. Are we being honest with one another? Are we telling the whole story? I, I was guilty of this growing up. I have a brother. You know, of course, we always loved each other. My mom and dad tell you we were perfect. We never did anything wrong. Right? Yeah, there was the immaculate conception, and then there was my brother and I. But it just wasn't true. Plenty of times, my brother hit me. I may have left out other details that would have provoked him to hit me. I'm sure that's never happened in your house. I'm sure you never did anything like that. And that's all interesting and fun as we talk about maybe our childhood or how our immaturities were, but we can be that way in the context of our relationships with one another. Are we honest with one another? Are you completely honest in the relationships that you have in the church? Because we want to be honest with one another. The, the text says this, so put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. We are committed to God's family because we are members one of another. We are connected because of what Jesus has done. We need to understand the depth of that. It's not just, this isn't a club. We've talked about that before. This isn't a social club that we come and gather just because we like to get together in this space. We are here because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and we've trusted in Christ. And maybe you're here this morning not because of that reason, just because you thought it was a good idea or someone drug you here. You need to hear this. We're going to be talking about Christ who paid the penalty for our sins and you can trust in him. That free gift is offered to you. But we are members. If we've trusted in Christ, we're members one of another and we need to be honest with one another. We need to be honest because our relationships are built on trust. These aren't about being surfacy. The context of our relationships should be one that are, are deep enough to be real with one another. So when you go to small group and you're asked, how are you doing? You don't just go, fine. You're just like, I did that this week. Fine. No, let's be honest. Because truth telling isn't just about, I've got to say something hard to somebody. Let's not, let's not put truth telling just in the category of when I need to say something really hard to someone that I don't want to say. Let's be honest with one another. Let's not lie about where we are at. The context of community in the church should be the place where people feel safe 
because the truth telling that we do isn't just the hard things, but it's also the things where we need to hear the truth about the gospel. So even as we talked about speaking the truth in love in the context of community, remember at, in uh, earlier uh, we read in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're committed to speaking the truth to one another. Truth and love, not just I just speak truth things and over here the other people, some people say, well, I just love people. No, it's both and. We must be committed to both and because the truth is needed for us to renew our minds. We talked about that last week. What are we going to renew our minds in? We're going to renew our minds in the truth. So truth is needed. Sometimes the truth is needed because it's hard. Sometimes the truth is needed because we are dry and we need to hear the truth of the gospel. But let's not stay silent. Let's not stay silent. That's, that's the way of the world. We sit in our houses and we see something we don't like and we go, we judge those people and we talk about them behind their back and we look the other way and we stop talking with the people we're talking to about them when they show up in the picture because we don't want them to know. We're just going to stay silent. That, there's no place for that in the context of the local church. When we don't say something, it's like starving the body. Right? You think about the concept of eating and not eating. Anyone, anyone else like to eat? I... I generally like to do that every single day, multiple times a day. I think snacks are wonderful. Why would we do that? Because we need to nourish the body. The body needs nourishment. Truth and speaking truth as nourishment. When we speak the truth of the gospel to one another, there's nourishment that's there. When others have spoken truth to me that are hard things for me to hear, that's good because I also hear the good things that I need to hear. And as I grow, that helps the body. When we don't say something to people, when something needs to be said, we are starving the body. Because if that person continues in the patterns that they are in, they are not fruitful to help in the body. And you may be the means of grace to help them. And I know that's hard when we think about it, but if we're committed to truth, we're committed to speaking the truth. Even if it's someone that you're like, I just I don't, I don't. I don't want to because I, when I've said things to them before, it, it's gotten a little bristly. So I just, it's just easier if I don't, if I don't say anything, maybe it's your parent. Kids, I get that it's hard to say things to your parents, but God may call you to speak truth. My kids speak truth to me. And that's honestly some of the most convicting truth that I've had. But we want to build the culture where that's free to happen. So it's not just, okay, take out that step of faith. The way we build that culture is we start with us. Am I someone who is easy to have the truth spoken to? Does my spouse feel the freedom to speak truth to me? Have I opened the door to say, will you, will you share with me 
observations that you have? Have you asked your kids, will you share with me observations that you have? Have you asked your small group, hey, I, I want you to feel the freedom to help me, to point out blind spots. I know what you're feeling right now because <laughs> I have felt it. When you open that door, you know someone is going to walk through it. So you kind of open it, well, open it really slow. But friends, that's how we're going to speak the truth with one another, not by mustering up something, but by having a culture where we invite truth to be spoken. When we have that culture where we invite truth to be spoken and we realize people are loving us and we realize it's, it's hard, we realize when we have to speak truth, it's hard to receive. It's hard to receive when things, when things just strike a chord. Maybe there's some root sin issue in our heart and it speaks to it. That's hard. When you realize it's hard to receive, you go, okay, when I go to speak it, I want to I want to speak it in love. I want to make sure that it's loving because this is someone for whom Christ died. So we want to be committed to honesty with one another. And that's going to help us as we think about the next category of how we respond to situations. Look back at your Bibles. So it says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let us each one of you, so just know each each one of you, that doesn't say um, only small group leaders speak truth to people. If you've ever had to lead a small group, I, I experienced this as a pastor. Someone comes and says, oh, yeah, Fred, and if there's a Fred here, I'm not talking about you. So Fred, um, Fred is doing this. I just need you to be aware of that. Can you tell Fred that he's doing this? And I'll be like, have you talked? to Fred? Well, no, I haven't talked to Fred. You, you're a pastor. You've gone to school for these things, so you know, right, how to... Oh, you're a small group leader. You've had a training and experience. No, it says each one. Each one. It's not just the responsibility of a select few group of people. We are members one of another. That's the culture that we want here. But then he goes on and says, says something that just feels like it slaps us in the face every time we read it. It says, be angry and do not sin. Okay, be angry and do not sin. We, we read that and we're like, yeah, that sounds right. That's right. So just, uh, Jamie, would you just give me the list of the things that, uh, that I can and can't be angry about. That would just be easier for me. Just give me the list, because obviously Paul's referring to a list. Be angry and do not sin. I mean, there's some freedom here. Paul is saying, be angry. Did you hear that? He's saying, be angry. Paul's not opening the door for us to be angry about whatever he wants. He's not giving us permission to throw a fit, to seek revenge. He's not giving us permission to dishonor God. He's saying, be angry and do not sin. He means if, if anger comes, it should be free from pride and from malice and from spite. 
or a spirit of revenge. Christian anger looks different. So then, of course, you're going to ask the question, what does righteous anger look like? Because I want to know what that is. Now, I read something this week that I thought was just made me chuckle. I even texted a friend. I'm like, you got to hear this before Sunday. This is what he said. What does righteous anger look like? It's when you get mad and you don't cuss. It's when you get mad and you don't cuss. That's hilarious. That's not what Paul's talking about. Although, I think it's fantastic if God has changed your heart and you get angry and you don't cuss. I think there's a work there. I think anytime anyone gets angry and they don't cuss, it's a miracle of God. But Paul's talking about something deeper. Something that's in our hearts that we need to be aware of. Because when we get angry, something's happening. David Pallison said this about anger when defining what is anger. He says, anger always expresses two things. It identifies something in your world that matters to you, and it proclaims that you believe something is wrong. So in acknowledging there, there's something that matters to you in the world and that you believe that it's wrong. So yeah, like there's right, there's a rightness that there are things that are, that matter and there are things that are wrong. It's oftentimes though that we make things that matter that really don't matter that much. And we, we categorize something as wrong out of that rather than is it really truly something that's wrong or it, have I been hurt? Think about the last time you got angry. I know, dig deep. Because you're like, man, it's been so long. I mean, I, it didn't even happen on the way to church this morning. <laughs> like, let's just laugh. It's okay. It's okay if you got angry on the way. I'm not going to call anyone out. I'm not looking to, to call someone's name because right away you're just like, oh, man, he's going to see. He's going to, no, I'm not going to call anybody out. Maybe you got angry on the way to church this morning. Maybe right now you are seething because you've had this ongoing argument with your spouse and you're hoping that they're listening this morning. Let's just be real. Let's just acknowledge the fact that we all struggle with it. It's true. What David Pallison said in his chapter two of his book, who struggles with anger? Me. I do. But what did it look like the last time you were angry? Did you fly off the handle? Did not only your family, but the neighbors and everybody in aisle six when you were in aisle seven knew that you were angry? Did that happen? Or did it look like I, I, I got distant? Those are the people that often will say, well, I don't struggle with anger. I've never screamed at anybody. I've never cussed at anybody. But something happens when something has happened to you or to someone else and you don't like it and all of a sudden, you stop talking. Maybe you distance yourself. Maybe 
Maybe there's subtle jabs. Maybe you get short. Maybe somehow you're able to remember an argument that happened 23 years ago on July 22nd. And you bring up that thing. Be honest. I don't need to see a show of hands. I've done that. I have an amazing memory to remember things that don't matter, that hurt. And we do. So Paul wants us to, to get to the root issue that's there. Because anger is not a personality issue. Anger is a heart issue. Anger is not a personality issue. It's a heart issue. Underneath all of that are your, uh, underneath your feelings, underneath your words, underneath our actions is this. Something that you wanted that you didn't get. Or it's something that you got that you did not want. That's there. Maybe you wanted respect. Maybe you wanted affirmation. Maybe you wanted convenience. Maybe you just wanted that elusive, quiet moment that your children think is foreign. Maybe, maybe you just wanted some encouragement Maybe you wanted some kind of pleasure. Maybe you wanted someone to affirm X, Y, or Z about you. I, I don't know. But we go awry when we want these things more than we want God. Because wanting some of these things, they can be good. It's not wrong for us to, to want our children to honor the Lord and honor their parents. It's wrong when we want it more than we want God. It's not wrong for us to want our spouse to love us. Wives, it's not wrong for you to want your spouse to love you the way that Christ loved the church. It is wrong if you want it more than you want God. Same goes for you too, husbands. It's not wrong for us to want our boss to be honest with us. It gets out of hand when we want it more than we want God. Does your anger reveal that you believe that God is in charge of the world? Or do your emotions reveal that, you know, I think God wants me to be in charge in this moment. Because I need to move some things. Because obviously God has missed something. So if I raise my voice or if I do that manipulative jab, then things will be right in the world. And they will run smoothly because obviously God has missed something. I'm convicted just thinking about it. Let's think about God for a moment and his anger. His anger is always redemptive. Because we can easily go to that place. If God gets angry, Jesus gets angry, right? Jesus took some tables and he, he was in church and he was flipping tables because something was going on that was wrong. Yeah, worship wasn't happening. 
But every time God is angry, it's redemptive. God's anger always makes right what is wrong. It's not two wrongs making a right. So he certainly gets angry about things that are wrong in his world. He does. But think about what his response was. He sent his innocent son, Jesus, to die for that world that was wrong. He sent his son. His son who offers the free gift of salvation for us. Who perfectly lived so that we could benefit from his perfect life, not our sinful life. That's how God responded. Unrighteous anger is fueled by entitlement, but the gospel awakens us to realize we never get what we deserve. We never get what we deserve. I knew someone who was known for saying the phrase, when you asked him, how are you doing? He would say, better than I deserve. Now, I think you can overuse that phrase, but it is still true. Think about all that you have done and all that you were before you knew Christ. Think about maybe how you acted this week. Are you receiving what you deserved? No. We are continuing to receive God's blessing and his mercy and his care and his love and his affection. I thank God every time my kids give me a hug because I have not been a perfect dad. I thank God every time my wife serves me in some way because I, I look at her and I'm like, how do you keep doing this? Because I'm receiving that which I did not deserve. Sinful anger is destructive, but righteous anger can be an instrument in God's hands to make this bad world better. It's not to be destructive. We can see things that are wrong in the world and it, it can anger us and something should anger us, but how are we responding? Think about how God responds and that can help us constructively respond. Think about it in the context of the relationships in your home or in the context of church. So we know God is patient. Literally means he's slow to anger. You've heard, you've heard James say that, right? In the, in the book of James, that's kind of a familiar thing, that verse that gets thrown out. Now, know this, my beloved brothers. So James 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you feel things welling up within you, say, well, okay, God has been patient with me. Maybe I should wait to respond till tomorrow. Wait to respond till tomorrow. That's not an anger management technique. That's us allowing the Holy Spirit to work within our hearts. How many times have I sent an email? Okay, I better probably wait till tomorrow to send that. <coughs> or text. Texting or I hate texting. I'm grateful for little things, but man, you can just so pull out your phone and go. You feel that? You're all like, oh, it's 
like it's on my hands. I've, d I've done that. What if we just fired off the text but just didn't hit send? But I don't, I can't do that. I just, my, my fingers are fat. If I type something in there, it's going to get sent. So just, if you want to send a text, you just sit on your phone or something. Like, wait till tomorrow. Let God work in your heart. We want to let the Holy Spirit work in our heart. God is patient with us. That if we understand God's patient with us, patience with us, we're going to be patient with others. God's merciful with us. Mercy is a way of looking at something that's wrong and saying, I'm going to help make what is right. What, I'm going to help make right what is wrong. I'm going to attack the problem, not the person. You attack the problem, not the person. You're like, how, how does that work? Because right now I have a lot of words to share with the person. Oh, we're stopping. Well, I've, I've received mercy. So inevitably something's going on in my heart right now that's probably not right. I just assume that righteous anger is not what's happening in my heart and I need to pray about it and help God because God's been more forgiving of me than I can imagine. So I'm probably going to need to extend forgiveness because right away you're aware of something. You get angry because something wrong has happened. You felt that. Sometimes someone's wronged you and you're like, you did that thing and you're aware of that thing. Sit tight. Like, I, I know you're aware of that thing. And God is going to be calling you to give forgiveness because there's no way that person can pay the penalty ultimately for that thing. But until your heart's in the place where you can extend forgiveness, we need to be patient and confront things with love. Remember how God has treated you. Remember how patient God has been with you. Remember how merciful God has been to you. Remember how much God has forgiven you. Just take a deep breath. There's an awareness right now. This subject is so big, we could spend the next three Sundays talking about it. I mean, David Pallison wrote a, a book on it and it's red of course the book is red because it's about angry i'm going to pick up that book because i want to be good and angry I, I think it'd be a good book to have this is something that's going to be worked out over time remember we do this in the context of community this is spoken to the community of believers at ephesus and it's being spoken to the community of believers at harvest because we, we want to be committed to speak the truth in love. We want to be committed to not lash out in anger because we are committed to working out our differences. Look back at the text. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's not a free pass to the people who live in Alaska in the summertime. You're like, oh, there would be a benefit to living in Alaska because the sun doesn't go down in the summer. That's not what it is. No, there's a commitment to working out our differences. Have you ever been confronted by that in, in the context of any relationship, let alone the church relationship? There are differences. Things, things come and they're challenging. And it is a great 
It is a great piece of wisdom to say, don't go to bed without being angry. I remember my, uh, my wife's aunt, the day before our wedding, we're decorating the church. Um, there's no stress going on because in, you know, we had so much stuff done ahead of time. It was just so peaceful. There's no stress at all, right? No. She, she grabs us both. She's shorter than us both. I'll never forget it. And she just, she's in the middle of us and she just singes us close. And she just says, uh, amongst a number of other things, hey, don't go to bed when angry. And I thought that God was speaking to me. Because you could see a woman who had walked through much pain. Who wasn't just quoting a scripture. She was speaking out of the truth of experience she had not only experienced the pain of not doing it, but she'd experienced the blessing of doing it. So yeah, that's a good principle. But really for us in our relationships, this isn't just something to be spoken to a married couple or someone in a household. We need to let the embers not grow into a fire. You think about summertime. Some of you have done this already this summer. You've made a fire in the backyard or when you were camping and you've grilled something on it. Maybe it's hot dogs or marshmallows or whatever it is. And you know at the end of the evening as the embers go down, there's still some warm coals in there. And in some places, you know, I've got to make sure that I put that out because there's a, a danger of fire. Because you know that those coals, they, they're still there. They're still burning. If I don't put them out... All, all something has to happen. Someone could throw gas on it. Someone could throw some kind of sticks on it. And immediately the fire is going to start up. Paul's saying, put, put out the embers. If there's something there that's not right, have the conversation. Speak the truth in love. Be honest. I understand some things are more complicated. You aren't going to completely get it all solved, maybe in one conversation. But let's have a commitment to say, you know, that the old self would have just started throwing things. And then the next day I would have thought of more things to throw and we would have built a wall between us. And once we build the wall between us, that's not enough because then you just start throwing things over the wall. Have you felt that in relationships? No, we want to start before you even think about constructing a wall. That's Paul saying, hey, don't even construct the wall. Don't, as someone said, don't go to bed with unresolved conflict. Don't let something linger. Because if you do, you're, you're getting in bed with the devil and give no opportunity to the devil. The devil knows how hard it is for us to handle anger responsibly. He knows. He knows how difficult it is. He knows that temptation that we feel and he lurks around. He lurks around looking for opportunities. He can smell where a fire has been, has been started and he's ready for a gas can to just toss it on there and let it go ablaze. So let's just be aware of something as he's doing that, because he's going to lie to you. He's going to lie to you this afternoon. Inevitably, there's someone in this room that something's going to come up. 
you're like, we're good. Actually, that message was for the couple down the row. It wasn't for us. We're doing really great. And something will happen this afternoon. I want you to tell you something about the devil. He lost. He loses in the end. He lies. And the truth is that Christ paid the penalty for our sins and we have received that which we did not deserve. We must focus on Christ. Paul mentions these two things about being honest and about having righteous anger because there are things that we deal with. Yes, there are helpful tools that we can, we can ask. We can ask the question, what happens to me when I get angry? How do I act when I get angry? We want to ask those questions. Ask those questions in your small group. In fact, I'll, I'll send some questions in the email this coming week, things that you can ask to process through, because the biggest thing we actually need to hear is, what message does God in his word have for me to speak to my anger? What does God have to say? And let's just ask God for help. Because I'm aware as we address this issue, you're going to be uh, tempted towards anger until Jesus comes back. But there is grace. There is grace for us if we would humble ourselves and come and say, Lord, help me. Let's, let's, be on, let's start with being honest that we struggle. Let's be honest with our spouse that we struggle. Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's be honest with our small group that we struggle. Let's stop perpetuating the lie that everything's good in our house and we're fine. Because we don't want people to believe the lie that we, everything is good because it's not good. And when you are honest, that's going to build the culture of honesty in your small group. And then everyone else is going to be honest. Like, yeah, actually, we struggle with that too. We struggle with that in the Maxim household. We need to be open and honest. But friends, we're talking about in the context of the community of the relationships in our church. Jesus died for us to be here. And let the truth set us free. To be honest, let's, let's seek to care about the things that God's care about. Let's seek to honor God with each and every aspect of our lives. And there's other things that we're, we're going to address the next three things next week. But let's just come right now and pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Now, as we go to pray, I want to just give a moment for us, you know, in, in our seats, not for others to hear, to just confess before the Lord ways in which he's brought conviction. Because I want to start by just simply saying, God, thank you for bringing this text. Thank you that we didn't just skip over this text to talk about other things. Thank you that we didn't just talk about a, a large chunk of scripture so that we didn't have to address this. God, because you love us. The reality is, is your God loves you and his Holy Spirit brings conviction because he loves you. So let's just take a moment before we sing 
and confess before the Lord where he's brought conviction. Just right where you're at, confess before the Lord. Whether you want to be honest with the Lord or not, he sees everything. And there's nothing that's hidden from him. So just be real with him. for how you treated your spouse or your child. <clears throat> Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for how you have been ignoring that person in our church because you just not wanted to have a conversation. And then let's ask. He tells us to ask, to come before him. We say, Father, who are in heaven, to ask for help. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Let's ask him for help in these things. And before we respond, I know I said we need to listen to this truth for us individually but it's right for us to pray for others let's intercede for those that we love that we know are struggling with these things yes this is for us but it's for them and it's God who's got to do the work we aren't the Holy Spirit but there is a Holy Spirit and he can bring conviction so just spend a few moments and pray for those in your life that this might be something they're, they're wrestling with. Well, Father, we, we yield to you. This word could be could be weighty and and I know your desire is not that we would walk out feeling guilt and shame. I know your desire is that we would yield to you because you have created us new. You want us to walk in who we are in Christ. You want us to walk in the freedom of who we are in Christ. You want us to know that our sins are forgiven. And you want to know that you are with us. You never leave us or forsake us. So we thank you, God. Guide us and direct us. May we have a culture in our church of one that speaks truth, but always with love. One in which we rightly assess anger and that we, we are for the things that you are for. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Friends, let's stand and respond and just cry out because we need God. The only way that we're going to apply this text, the only way I'm going to apply this text is if God helps. So let's cry out.